says of such were some of you and there's this whole list of things all these things that we could do wrong there's a whole list of them he says to the church in Corinth of such were some of you but now you've been washed by Jesus and that's the thing that I love so much about who Jesus is because Jesus didn't hold my sordid history against me he said I know all that about you but I love you and I want to do a fresh work in your life There's no such thing as a hopeless case to God. He knows everything about you, the good and the bad. He knows it all, and He still loves you. And as Pastor Daniel shares today, not only does God love you in spite of your laundry list of failures, but He wants to use you in the amazing work that He's doing in the world. You'll see this in the example of Rahab, who, despite her sordid past, went on to be used by God and named in the lineage of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 2 as he begins his message, Rahab the Hero. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, as we continue our study here through the book of Joshua The book of Joshua is such a powerful book. We see in the book of Joshua the children of Israel stepping into the promise that God had given them of an inheritance, a land for the people to call their own. It's been said if you want to understand the Bible in its totality, you have to remember that the Bible is about God, the people, and the land. From the beginning of Genesis 1 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, the big themes is the God and his people and the place that God wants to place his people. Because it's interesting that you run into the God of the Bible, the people who God has chosen, and then ultimately the place of God's inheritance, which we end up knowing as Jerusalem and then ultimately the new Jerusalem. This is your Bible in totality in these three concepts. Now, We saw in Joshua chapter 1 that God's encouragement to Joshua was to be strong and to be of good courage. Now, that's going to be something that I'm going to be bringing back to us over and over and over again because we need to remember this every single day, don't we? Now, I've heard this. I've never verified this, and so I haven't fact-checked this, but it's been said that in the Bible there are 365 instances of do not be afraid or one of its derivatives, one for each day of the year, right? And so it's almost like every single day we need to hear, don't be afraid. And God doesn't just not want us to be afraid. Instead, he wants us to be strong and of great courage because he's with us. The presence of God is what changes everything in our lives, When you realize that in every situation, no matter how dire it is, that you are not alone. As my pastor, John Henry Corcoran, used to say, you and God in any crowd is a majority. That changes the way that you live. 
See, for the children of Israel, they knew that they were going to be going into a land that 38 years earlier, spies went in and they were terrified to go in the land. The cities were walled. The people were huge. They were not prepared for that. But instead of trusting God, because God said, look, I've given you the land, go and take it. They said, no, 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 we can't do it. And instead of looking at the Lord, they looked at the circumstances. And instead of adding faith to what they saw, they just added fear and they stopped. And that whole generation perished in the wilderness. Only two from that generation who were old enough to be involved in this were allowed to go in. Joshua, who is the person that God is using in a powerful way in the book of Joshua. And of course, his friend Caleb, who we're going to see some amazing things about. So look at what happens in Joshua chapter 2, picking up in verse 1. It says this. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they're from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the two men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them, verse 6, up to the roof. And hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, we see now a recapitulation of exactly what got the children of Israel in trouble the first time. Remember, back in the book of Numbers... Moses sent out 12 spies to spy out the land. Joshua and Caleb were part of that, those 12, to go on. See, now Joshua is going and he's sending two spies again. Now, I do think it is fascinating that it actually tells us that he sent out two men. Because out of the 12, there were only two faithful men, him and Caleb. So instead of sending out 12 and getting the decision by committee, so to speak, he's like, I'm going to send out two guys. And you realize that any spy mission would have been kept secret from the enemy. And so Joshua's determined to keep what's going on a secret here. They're leaving Acacia Grove or where they're staying. And he says, go and view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went and we learned that they came to this house of a harlot named Rahab and they lodged there. Now, there's been a lot of debate, especially more recently, about that word harlot. Some people would say that it'd be better translated innkeeper. But the idea is a woman who was an innkeeper in that culture was normally, it was normally a brothel. That's the way it worked. Now you have to realize, how many of you guys like spy movies? You sinners. No, I'm just kidding. I love them. I'm kidding. But it's fascinating. I started, as I was explaining, I started reading all this stuff about how houses of prostitution are always intelligence gathering places, these clandestine places. I mean, how many times is information, I mean, you guys don't know because you guys aren't hanging out in those places, but how often is information gathered in that type of an environment? You don't know, but it happens all the time. It's quite common. So you got to think for these two men, they weren't going there for bad reasons. 
They were going there because if you wanted to go into the city and you didn't want to be caught, you have to go somewhere where travelers come and go. You had to just kind of blend in, and this was the easiest place. You couldn't just knock on anyone's door and be like, hey, I'm from the children of Israel. Can I stay at your house tonight? But don't tell anyone we're here. You know, by going to an inn run by this woman named Rahab, it was the best chance that they had to be able to go in and out secretly without anybody knowing that they were there. Now, what's fascinating, of course, is that Rahab becomes one of the protagonists of the story. And ultimately, if you know your Bible, Rahab ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter one, verse five, we learn Salmon, who was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So if you know the book of Ruth, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer of the book of Ruth. His mom was Rahab. So what I love about this story, because you might, you know, some of you are like, well, she's all. If you don't know what a harlot is, you can ask your neighbor. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's funny. I had a great experience the other day. So. You know, we have this, I have this radio program that we call Jesus is Real Radio. It's on all different radio stations. So my kids, the intro music is so kind of stark. It's like a rock song where it's like, dawn, it's Jesus is Real. So whenever we're in the car right about six o'clock, I want to put it on because when my kids hear that first rock chord, they start screaming, Jesus is Real, you know? So what happens is, is we're listening to the radio program, which is really awkward for me because I'm like, there's nothing worse than listening to yourself on the radio. But like, I go to shut it off and my wife's like, don't shut off. This is a good message. So I'm like, okay. And so, which is like super encouraging. I love that girl. You know, I'm so happy I married her, you know? And, and it's so funny because we're doing the story about Balaam, you know, Balaam and the donkey and Balak the king and all this stuff, right? And I start talking about the need for confession, it was super cool because all of a sudden, like I'm talking about confession and then Obadiah is like, dad, can you turn, can you turn the message down for a second? And Obadiah starts to confess something. And I'm like, and then it's like, and then Lynn leans over and she confesses something. I'm like, man, it's a good message, you know? But the reason I bring this up, I'm kind of on the, the, the rails are here and I'm somewhere checking out the roses. But I was talking about Balaam's donkey, and I said, now, if you read the King James Bible, the donkey is called a, you can insert the word that you can imagine that Shakespeare would have used for a donkey. But it begins with an A, and it ends with an S, and it's got the same letter in the middle, right? And I said it, and my son Obadiah is like, ha, 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 dad. He said, you said, and I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, you shouldn't listen to me preach. So I'm not going to tell you what a harlot does. You can figure that out on your own. And if Obadiah asked you, don't tell him. Anyway, Obadiah, anyway. So where was I? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So what I love about this story is the last person you would imagine would end up in God's kingdom is a harlot, let alone in the celebrated family tree of the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And you have to realize that that is not by chance, that is by design. Because God knows where we have all been. He knows the things that we've done. And in Christ, you are completely forgiven when you say yes to him. And the Bible says, of such were some of you. And there's this whole list of things, all these things that we could do wrong. There's a whole list of them, he says, to the church in Corinth, of such were some of you, but now you've been washed by Jesus. And that's the thing that I love so much about who Jesus is. 
Because Jesus didn't hold my sordid history against me. He said, I know all that about you, but I love you. And I want to do a fresh work in your life. Now, what I love about the grace of God is when we really understand the grace of God, oftentimes what people do is they say, well, if God will forgive me for anything I'll do, then I'll do anything I want. But if you really understand the grace of God, you never do that. Why? Because when you realize how amazing God's salvation is, how astounding his grace is, when you realize that, all you want to do is live your life with a life of gratitude. A life that says, you are so good to me, and I just want to bless you. I live my life every day saying, God, I want you to be glorified in my life because I can't even imagine that you adopted me in your family. You know, it's one thing to be born into a family. It's like, you know, when we had, you know, Obadiah and Maranatha and Annabelle, like they were ours. They came out how they are and they're growing. But it's another thing to adopt someone in your family. And say, no, you're going to come into my, like, I'm, I'm going to take you into my family. And God knows all about us. And he says, I'm going to take you into my family. And we want to live our lives in such a way. Because what Satan does is he tries to tell you that your past is all you'll ever be. That's what he does. Because he's the accuser of the brethren. Satan wants to cast dispersions on the character of God and on God's ability to love you because you're flawed. And so he tries to take your history and he tries to ram it up in your face all day long. Oh yeah, you think you're going to follow Jesus. Well, this and this and this. And the problem is for all of us, we got a long laundry list of the this is, right? All of us do. I mean, I've always said it. Can you imagine if at any given point, the Lord just took the screens, right? And all of a sudden started like listing down like stock quotes, all the sins I've committed in my life. Like you guys would never let me pastor in this place. Like you guys would be like, man, this guy is out of here. But the thing is, is the only solace that I have in that is one, Jesus knows that he forgave me. And that if you were the person standing up here, your list would be pretty nasty too. Does it make sense? It's like, like all of us got all sorts of stuff. And so, big deal that Rahab was a harlot because Jesus' forgiveness is greater than all that. It's greater than that. And the fact that God, in his infinite wisdom and amazing way that God rolls, that he would say, you know what, I'm going to take Rahab. I'm going to put her in the family tree of Jesus. I just love that. It's just like the apostles, like the Lord's like, who can I choose when I do a multi-ethnic movement that's got millennia under its belt and it's going to keep on going, it'll never conquer. We're going to be able to say, those were the guys who were involved in that thing starting. And I think that's why God loves to take the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. God loves to use the things that everyone else would cast away and say, yeah, I'm going to use that person. Why? Because it says in 1 Corinthians that no flesh would glory in his presence, that no one would take the glory for what God wants to do. And so Rahab, it's amazing. They show up there and Rahab takes them in. That's her business, right? And then it gets to the ears of the king of Jericho in verse 3. And the word is out. You know, maybe someone who was at Rahab's place or whatever that said, man, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out this country. And so the king went and he sent to Rahab saying, I want you to bring those guys who have entered your house from the children. I want you to bring them to me. But Rahab didn't listen. This is what you call civil disobedience. Now, I realize that I'm going to deal with the fact that Rahab lies here. 
Because for us in church, it's like, you know, they're like, well, I can't believe she lied and this and that. What do we do? And am I allowed to lie? Because I really quite like it. You know, you have all these things that go on in all of our hearts, right? I mean, you guys don't because you guys love Jesus. But for the rest of us pagans who God's still working on, you know, like there's that party. It's like, well, you know. But what we find biblically is that when any government asks you to do something that goes against God's revealed purposes, civil disobedience is the only right worshiping response. I'm going to say that again. When the government asks any believer to do something that goes against God's revealed purposes and plans, Civil disobedience is the only proper worshiping response. Now, I say that because in our culture today, we are just about at the point where if you don't have a little civil disobedience in your life, I don't believe you're honoring the Lord anymore. Because our culture is adjusting to a way that isn't God's heart. Now, It also says that we should honor the governing authorities. And so there is a balance in there. There's a tension that exists in there. But what you find is that it was God's will for the children of Israel to receive Jericho as part of their inheritance. We're going to find by the end of this chapter, Rahab knows that. And her giving over those men to the king of Jericho would have been in direct violation of the heart of God. So what you find in the Bible is that Lying becomes permissible when it lines up with the will of God. You can use the analogy. Many of you have read the diary of Anne Frank. We read it for school. So when the Nazis were systematically exterminating Jewish people, people who loved God resisted those laws and hid them and lied about it. And I believe that God was absolutely honored with their lying in that juncture because their lying is to counteract a great atrocity. You also find in the Bible, if you recall, when King Saul was pursuing David. Saul was the king. David had already been anointed king, but he had not ascended to the throne. And he refused, although David was a total MMA warrior crazy guy. Right? Oh, there's all these times he could kill Saul, but he doesn't because he honors God's plan in it. But Saul married his daughter Michael to David, and Michael lied where David was because Saul was coming to kill him. And in the same way, I believe that her lying was actually an act of worship because it was thwarting a greater evil. Does that make sense? No, I realize that, you know, there's so many like, well, what about in this situation? Can I lie here and this and that? And, you know, but what you end up having is, is she says, yeah, these guys came. I didn't know where they were from. And it happened, you know, as the gates were shut that these guys, they went on out. So I don't know where they went. <laughs> so you guys better get going. Quit poking around here. Like, go find those guys. But we find out in verse six that she had brought them up to the roof and she hid them with the stalks of flax, which they had laid in order on the roof. Now, you have to realize that in that culture, like we have these sloped roofs. In that culture, they had flat roofs. Why? Because they didn't have air conditioning. 
You know, so their roofs ended up being almost like balconies. If you ever gone to like a beach house, they do that too, right? Where they have the roof, instead of it being sloped, they have sometimes flat roofs with balconies on top. And so if you go to Israel today, you could still see there's all these roofs where you can, they're flat roofs and, you know, and so the idea was, is that it was the perfect place for them to dry out grain. They would pick these stalks of grain and they would want them to stay in the sun so they could dry them out. And so she hid those guys in the midst of all the grain so that no one would find them. And when they heard this, everybody ran on out to pursue them on the road to the Jordan. And right as they went to pursue them, it says that the gates were shut. So what we have now is we have these two men are hiding out on Rahab's roof and the gates are shut on in. Now in verse eight, it says this. It says, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, verse nine, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and when you did and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us this land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. So you see now why Rahab did what she did. Because Rahab, after the coast, she goes up to the roof. She says, look, I know that God has given you this land. I know it. I, she has as much faith in what God has said he would do than anybody in all of Israel. Right? I know that God has given you this land. And the terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. See, the testimony of what God did in the Exodus has now made its way into the promised land and everyone is freaking out that the God who defeated the Egyptians, his people are coming into the land. And that was exactly what God told the people he was going to do. He said, the testimony of what I am going to do in itself is going to be the game changer. See, you all know that morale is always a major factor in warfare, isn't it? I mean, morale is a major factor. If you ever study team dynamics, you watch sports teams. When there is a chemistry problem or a morale problem, when people have a loser's mentality or they know that they're going to lose, oftentimes they do. What happens often is that our attitude impacts the outcome. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel closed by sharing that the news of the God of the Israelites and how he defeated the Egyptians had spread throughout the land. And that's why when these two spies show up, Rahab knows that she wants to be on their side. 
She believes what she heard and knows that God is who she wants to follow. That's what gave her the strength and motivation to take the risk and protect the spies even though it put her in danger. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share that oftentimes the outcome of a situation is first determined in your head. Fears can swamp you and take you out of the game before it ever even starts. That's why Pastor Daniel will encourage you to think about where your head is. What's your attitude? What are you dwelling on? Do you believe that what God says is true? Are you able to counter your fear with His Word? Well, there's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Conquest. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.